A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world till he returns. These are the stories and conversations about God's mission and the people dedicating their life to it. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, provost and professor of missions at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is Amazon to the Himalayas. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season, we're focusing on mission organizations. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking and learning about reaching and teaching international. Reaching and teaching is doing work all over the world to make disciples and to plant churches and to train local leaders. I'm going to be talking today with my friend, Ryan Robertson, the president of Reaching and Teaching. Ryan's been serving as president of Reaching and Teaching since 2020. He has a podcast called Missions Talk, where he and his co-hosts talk about various missiological topics and the church. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Paul. Good to see you, brother. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ryan Robertson. As you mentioned, I have the privilege of leading, reaching, and teaching. We live in Louisville, Kentucky, home of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary with my wife, Erin, and my three kids, Avery, Callum, and Regan. We've lived in the U.S. for about five and a half years now. We absolutely love it. Before coming down and starting doctoral studies at Southern, which you're my supervisor, so I have to make sure I say everything <laughs> correctly on this, Paul. Before that, we lived in Canada, where Aaron and I grew up. We served at a local church up there. I was on staff for seven years. And before that, I was in the corporate finance world. So I've got a little bit of a, a crooked path, so to speak, on the way to leading a missions organization. But I'm thankful for all the experiences that the Lord gave me in, in various ways. I should also mention my local church because if I don't do that, I'm totally not, I'm, I, I should lose my job. But I'm at Third Avenue Baptist Church here in Louisville, Kentucky, serve as an elder there, love our congregation. Yeah, it's, it's been a joy to be there. Yeah. So reaching and teaching, I want you to tell us some about the background of the organization, the history, how did it get started? Why did it get started? What was the original goal of the organization? Yeah, Absolutely. The organization was founded in 2009, and it was founded primarily in the wake of a lot of attention giving to, quote unquote, finishing the task. How do we remove barriers to reach the last unreached language groups of the world, people groups of the world? What we had seen and what our, our founder had seen was just the devastating impact of quick evangelism with a lack of emphasis on remaining and training up leaders to lead local churches as they gather together. So. In 2009, the idea was let's work together with different churches in the U.S. to send qualified teachers to go train pastors around the world so that we look at, if you look at the name Reaching and Teaching, there was a lot of reaching going on. There wasn't a ton of teaching going on in the broader missions world, and we wanted to recover that. Okay, awesome. So since 2009, now we're in 2024, and so the organization has kind of a 15-year or so history Maybe right. can you just talk a little bit about kind of the size and scope of the organization today? What does that look like? Where do you guys work? How many people do you have with you? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, great question. As I mentioned, 2009, we started to send short-term teams of pastors to train pastors. 2013, we started to mobilize long-term workers, missionaries, to go and plant themselves down in a community and do that, that same work. And as we started to do that, we started to get involved in evangelism and discipleship and church planning as well. So you look at the breadth of the missionary task to evangelize, disciple, church plant, to train up leaders, and then eventually to exit a field. 
that's what reaching and teaching is doing now globally is all of those things we want to make mature disciples maturity takes time we want to establish healthy churches that word healthy carries some connotations in terms of what we we actually believe to be the definition of a, a healthy local church and then we want to train local leaders that work paul is being done currently in 46 different countries where we've got global workers there's about 115 of them currently right now units so that would be a single a couple or a family if you want to count individuals serving overseas, it's closer to about 210, 215. Wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of work reaching and teaching missionaries are doing around the world? I mean, I know you just talked about evangelism, discipleship, healthy church planting, leadership training, some of those kinds of things. But what are the roles? You know, Maybe they're, they're nine to five, eight to five. What do those kind of things look like? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the context that we are working on, Paul, I think it was actually you, you wrote an article during your time with the International Mission Board on peoples and places and, and kind of this emphasis that you and David were, were looking at at the IMB. And so I would say like, we've really been influenced by that thinking in many ways that, hey, we're, we're gonna work amongst frontier language groups. We work very closely with Radius International, love their work. They train up missionaries to go to the furthest reaches of the world to evangelize in language groups that as far as we know, have never heard the gospel before. And so we've got a number of teams that they've trained up to do that type of work. We also work in places that have vast need, even if it's a language that people would quote, quote unquote, call it reached. So places like Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, global cities like Kuala Lumpur and others that I can't name because of security. We want to, we want to make sure that there is a healthy functioning local church in every single area. So some of our folks are going to work in evangelism, uh, maybe on a, college campus, maybe they're going to be running a business, which gives them kind of front door access to a community where they can meet people and start sharing the gospel with them. We've got a number of people that are doing discipleship. I want to be clear to emphasize, we think that discipleship best happens in the context of the local church as it gathers together. And so we really want to put an emphasis on having new Christians being baptized into membership in a local church, whereby they are being discipled in the church. But a lot of our folks will be meeting folks one-on-one -on -one for Bible study and so forth. We do have a, a number of our guys serving in more of a like a pastoral role where they're pastoring. We think that when we look at Paul in the New Testament in his missionary journeys, Paul was doing a lot of pastoring. And so we're very happy for our qualified men who have been deemed qualified by their church to serve in a pastoral role where they're the primary preacher on a Sunday morning obviously with the intent of as they're pastoring that local congregation to raise up local leaders that will one day really put them out of a job they'll be able to be replaced by a local brother who's able to handle the word of god and has the competency and then in terms of theological training there's the informal track where we do have folks that are in kind of low literacy areas where you can't just slap a textbook in front of them and say hey we're going to learn greek today you've got to help them get their literacy level up and then start teaching them biblical literacy in more of an informal setting. That could be in a Amazonian jungle, that could be in a third world country. And then we've also got folks, a lot of them trained up by Southern Seminary that are serving in P as PhDs in various academic institutions around the world. So it's, it's very broad. I would mm -hmm. say the common denominator uh, amongst all of them is no matter what they're doing, it's centered in the local church. So seminaries attached to the local church, evangelism, discipleship attached to the local church. Do you hunger for deeper missiological understanding and the ability to solve some of the most challenging problems facing missionaries today? 
The Doctor of Missiology program at Southern Seminary equips you to do just that. Whether you're planting churches, leading missions, or shaping future leaders, the DMIS empowers you to make a gospel impact. In this cohort-based program, you'll gain advanced knowledge, expert mentoring, and hands-on field experience, all while preparing you to lead in cross-cultural contexts. To learn more about this program, visit sbts.edu slash DMIS. That's a great segue to my next question. One of the things I appreciate about you and I appreciate about the organization is the emphasis and the priority on the local church. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what is the role of the local church look like in sending missionaries with reaching and teaching? You know, that's always kind of the million dollar question in the missions world is what is the relationship between the local church and the sending organization? What does that look like for reaching and teaching? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the most important characteristics of a missionary and and their definition is that they're sent out by a local church. And so if you don't have a sending church, you're not a missionary in my estimation. We want local churches to identify that they are the ones who are deeming somebody qualified in character and competency in a way that we really can't in the same level through an application process. We do our very, very best, but we're really leaning into the local church that says, yes, this person has the character and competency we think, to be able to do what we're seeing them do here locally on the other side of the world for the glory of God amongst the nations. And so they are the ones that are kind of saying, yes, qualified. They're also the ones that are doing the majority of training. So what I mean by that is there's specialized training for missionaries, how to learn language and culture, how to communicate the gospel into another language so that it's clear, elements of, of church planning, all of that. Obviously, there's there's strategic training that needs to be done with specialized individuals doing that training, theological education as well. But I would say that like 95% of a missionary's training actually should happen in the context of the local church. Mm -hmm. They learn how to evangelize with the congregation. They learn how to disciple with the congregation. They learn the importance of the preaching of God's word as they sit under it. And so all of their DNA, good or bad, is being shaped by their local church life. And so we want churches to recognize, hey, we're going to help with training. We've got friends that help with training, but you really are the ones that are responsible for the training up of this missionary at the end of the day. And then there's supporting. We want sending churches to recognize prayerful support is important. So be continually praying for your missionaries. Be generous in your giving towards missionaries. So a lot of churches that are listening to this probably cooperate with the International Mission Board, in which the cooperative program of the SBC is helping to fund their missionaries. We do not have a cooperative program. And so most agencies don't, to be clear. And so we want we want sending churches to recognize whether they're giving to the Lottie Moon offering or whether they're giving towards a specific missionary endeavor with another organization to be generous in that. Mm-hmm. And then we want to encourage them to continue a relationship in visiting missionaries, being on Zoom calls, signal chats, all of that, listening to how they're doing, how, they, how can we be continually praying for you, and then receiving them back well when missionaries are stateside visits or or coming off the field for good. Yeah, that's good. I want to dive a little deeper into the local church. How do you guys vet missionary candidates? You know, another question a lot of times people have that are interested in going and serving overseas is, you know, what does the assessment or the screening process look like? You talked a lot about local church there, which I think is key, but can you talk a little bit about how you guys think about that at Reaching and Teaching? Yeah. So one of the things that we do to vet uh, on the very front end is we want to be very, very clear on where our theological convictions as an organization. We're not seeking to be 
a certain size of organization. We just seek to serve a certain type of church and missionary who hold to a certain theological commitment. So that's that's honestly the first way we vet is, hey, we're we're Calvinistic in, in our understanding of soteriology. We believe in God's sovereignty and salvation. We are Baptistic in our ecclesiology. And so if if you hold to different views on the local church than that which is historically Baptist, we're not going to feel super comfortable for you as an organization because we're talking about planting a church. It's a Baptist church. And then we're complementarian in the way that we look at uh, the role of men and women in the church. And so that honestly vets away a number of people we don't even know who they are. And then we start walking with them, Paul, six months to 12 months through meeting with one of our mobilizers, getting to know them and their church a little bit deeper, introducing them to their eventual leader if they were to make it into the organization. So like a regional or an affinity leader. And then that affinity or we call them regional leaders is going to walk with them through the application process. We're going to look at an in-depth theological questionnaires. We're going to look at pastoral references, work references. We've got a confidential questionnaire in which we're vetting somebody's background. So what sin struggles have you historically dealt with? Is there anything in your past that anybody be made aware of it would disqualify you from going over overseas? We got to try and vet all of those things out. We've even got this thing where we ask them, give us the list of every church you've ever been a member of so that we send out a questionnaire, very brief to all of those churches saying, is there anything in this person's past in which we should be made aware of that would disqualify them from this work? We want to do very, very careful work in that. And then finally, they've just got a series of interviews with our team a few different times where we're getting to know them from different angles, trying to assess their fitness for the task in, in and of itself, and then their fitness within reaching and teaching. Mm, that's good. I'm talking to you from, from Southern Seminary. I would love to hear you talk about the role of theological education for potential missionary candidates. Do you think do they, they need theological training? Is that a help? Is that a hindrance? How do you guys think about that at reaching and teaching? I want to be clear. I think theological education is very, very critical and very, very important. And every every missionary will at some point find themselves, if they're fruitful in their task, educating somebody else in theology. And so if you don't know theology, you're under-equipped for the task that you have ahead of you. At the same time, I want to put it in its proper place. And while we have a number of people that are PhD trained, those are folks that need PhDs to do their work. I think pastors who are preaching God's word week in and week out, need their biblical languages as they do their exegesis in the text. But when I'm talking about folks that are doing evangelism and, and some discipleship kind of outside of the context of the local church, I want them to have Old Testament, New Testament. I want them to have their systematics. I want them to have their hermeneutics. But do they need a full MDiv? Probably not. It'd be great if they had it. Um, we're finding more and more of our candidates want to go overseas with biblical counseling certification and degrees. So I love that. We've got a number, specifically young ladies, that are being trained up in biblical counseling. Some of them under Dr. Jones and Dr. Pierre there at, at Southern. And I love the idea of sending biblically trained counselors to very difficult places like Japan and and so many other places where there's just there's just such a need for counseling. So yes, it's great. Yes, it's important. But what we're asking people to do really depends on what it is they're going to be doing in the field. Yeah, that makes sense. Where does your organization primarily send people? How is a location determined for a particular missionary family? Do you guys determine that? Do they determine that? What does that look like? We like the sending church to make that decision. We want 
that person going overseas to be in good communication with their church. We don't want churches to be ambivalent towards it. So we're trying to encourage churches like, hey, you should really care about this because we're going to encourage you to go visit this place. You're going to have some skin in the game financially and then physically and then strategically. We, we want you to build relationships with churches on the ground as, as they are planted and revitalized. So we want churches to make that decision. Churches are often very happy for us to lead the discussion. And we're trying to kind of continually give back that authority to the sending church and saying, no, you make the decision. It requires a ton of communication, Paul. We are allergic to doing anything that we see is outside of what the Bible has to say about, the Bible has nothing to say about missions organizations. Let's be clear. We're not in the Bible. And so when we start doing things that we see like the church should be doing, we're very, very allergic to that. And so this idea of like, hey, reaching and teaching, we see this as a strategic opportunity in Asia. Applicant, you're going to go to Asia. We're never going to do that. That's just not who we are. We're going to say to their church, hey, have, have you thought about these three or four locations? Can we set up meetings with different teams in different areas that you can get to know them? And then you ultimately make the decision with our participation in that, that process. And even if someone has to move from one field to another, maybe there's political unrest or there's just barriers that can't get into the, the place they wanted to go. We're still not going to make that decision that they're going to move to this place over here. We're going to pull back their sending church and have that conversation. And so that's led to our folks being in 46 different countries today. We started in Ecuador and now we're in most of the continents around the world. We want to be where there's a need. So hmm. if there's a need that's identified, and I'd say 70, 75% of it, the needs are being told to us by the church that has a relationship or the missionary who's been there before and has a heart to, to go to that specific place because they have relationships there. The other 25%, what I want to do is just kind of give them a, it's almost like being a real estate agent saying, here's your five your or listings. six places. Yeah. yeah. And you guys make some decisions. No, that's good. One of the reasons this podcast started was for people to kind of hear stories and things that God's doing around the world. I would love it if you could take just maybe a few moments, tell us, you know, as you think back over the last three, four five months, anything that you've heard from reaching and teaching missionaries around the world, just some encouraging things that the Lord is doing. Can you share something with us? I've got two in mind right now. We don't have enough time to tell what God's doing in all these different places. But one of the things I've been most encouraged by is a brother named Alex Dyer, Southern grad down in Brazil, and went down there five years ago, six years ago to start working on a church revitalization. Minnesota Gardens Baptist Church, I think is the, the English name of, it's a, it's a Portuguese speaking church. Five, six years down the road, their membership is just bursting at the seams. Uh, I get pictures of their membership classes and they're full to the brim. Alex is one of the most passionate expositors of the word I've ever heard. I don't understand him as he's preaching in Portuguese, but this brother brings it and you can tell it because everybody's engaged. They're running a pastoral internship now with him and, and a colleague from Reaching and Teaching. They've got another colleague coming down. As our teams are going around Brazil, training out pastors in underdeveloped areas, they're identifying young men who could really value from a church-based internship that Alex and Brian are, are leading there. And it's just thriving. It's really like the case study of, wow, the local church should be the hub of church planting and leadership development and on and on and on. And look what the Lord can do through one healthy local church in an area. Super thankful for Alex and, and his work there. I think the other story that I want to share is four and a half years ago, I was traveling through Southeast Asia and I visited with a worker in a specific secure country there. 
He had been sent out by my church, Third Avenue Baptist Church. We started a conversation about him kind of transiting for more of a short-term organization where he was facilitating short-term trips. He wanted to start, like do 100% of his time pastoring in a local congregation in an English-speaking international church. And reaching and teaching facilitates that type of work as well. And so he joined us. He had a single teammate along with him and his wife. She ended up joining us. She was the very first single woman that joined RTIM. And I remember having a conversation with her. She was like, why are there no other single women with reaching and teaching? And I was like, I don't know, but the Lord does, and we're just going to trust them. And now we've got like a dozen single ladies. Almost 10% of the organization now are these incredibly gifted single women. But that location in Southeast Asia, Paul, that's where we probably, well, it's where we have the largest concentration of work at this time. Fast forward four years, we've got multiple church planning teams that are learning language while being in that, that region, going to plant amongst the least reached language groups. It's just phenomenal mm. what we're mm. seeing the Lord do. And the beauty of it is there's a local brother who's serving as an elder in this international church who's going to be planting a national language church within the next couple of years. There's a pastoral internship that's starting up. Our friends at Nymarks are doing translation work with them. And then you've got unreached language groups in the country that our teams are working on. And so it's really this, that's a mm. case study of you can both be about big cities and places that have a huge need for the gospel and peoples and languages mm. that have never heard mm. the gospel. Mm. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. And when the church is the center of it, there's this beautiful local church centeredness on how that work is even being done overseas that is just marvelous to watch. So I would say those are two stories that are just kind of blowing my socks off right now. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One last question before we kind of shift gears to some lightning round questions. In your opinion, what makes reaching and teaching unique and necessary? Mm. I want to be clear about necessary. I don't think we're necessary. I think God can do whatever he wants to do through whatever he wants to do it. I don't think reaching and teaching has a right to exist. I think we have a privilege to serve the churches we do. And if one day those churches deem that we're not equipped and qualified to serve them, praise God, someone else is. I think what makes us unique in this time of missions history is we want to argue for the recovery of theological convictions in the missionary task. When I studied at Southern and read about William Carey and his Baptist convictions and John Payton and his Presbyterian convictions and, and Amy Carmichael, who went from being a Presbyterian to an Anglican and Keswick, like their theology mattered to them. And it impacted the work that they did on the ground. And we lost that, I think, in the missions world with the emphasis on ecumenicism in, in 1910 and onwards. Theology matters. I think one of the reasons the local church has found itself on the outside looking in so much in the missionary task over the last hundred and something years is we've lost our theology. In, mm. in many, many ways. And mm. so what we want to do as an organization is put our theological convictions on the front door. We don't want to fool anybody to join Reaching and Teaching. We don't want them to get to the field and realize that their teammates have different major categories of theology convictions than they do. And I think that's something that's going to be helpful on the ground. I understand the urgency to, hey, let's band with our brothers and, and sisters from different denominations to do the work together. We all hold different convictions. So when it gets to the actual work of church planning, are we just not going to talk about theology because we have disagreements? And then do we shelve 30 to 40% of that theology because it would cause division? What theology are we giving to the new church if mm. we're not going to talk about these things? What I want to say, and we're having really good conversations with our Presbyterian brothers and 
hopefully going to have some conversation with some Anglican friends soon. Hey, what if we could truly be Catholic and are cheering each other on, right? Small C Catholic. What if we could be Catholic and, and cheering for each other, doing very, very Presbyterian church plants and Anglican church plants and Baptist church plants. And I think our theological convictions impact our methodology on the, on the ground. It impacts our relationship with the sending church. Baptists were really, were really about the autonomy of the local church. And so my Baptist ecclesiology necessitates me seeing every single local church around the world being autonomous as mm. soon as it covenants together. But there's this beautiful Baptist associationalism. Paul, your, your brother Nate leads the Pillar Network. They're phenomenal at associationalism. Mm. That's a Baptist distinctive that we do really, really well throughout history. And so reaching and teaching seeks that kind of recovery of Baptist associationalism, both in the churches that are sending and the churches that are going so much so that like I get pictures from friends that are sending through reaching and teaching and they're hanging out at like associational meetings down in Colombia or in Europe and just doing really cool Baptist things. And there's a common theology there between the sending church and the churches that are being planted and revitalized that allows for, I think, a cooperation that is super, super sweet. So mm -hmm. that's a long and convoluted way of saying, I think we're unique in the fact that we're driving Baptist convictions and associationalism in a way that recovers some kind of the early missions fathers of the great century. Mm, well said. If you are weighing the call to ministry, the question you should be asking is not where will I prepare, but what faculty will I study with? When you choose a seminary, you choose a faculty. At Southern Seminary, you will study with our faculty of authors and scholars who are also faithful pastors and church leaders. I want to invite you to come and meet our faculty by joining us on campus for preview day on April 12th and see why Southern Seminary is the place to prepare for a lifetime of faithfulness. To register, visit sbts.edu slash preview. Some lightning round questions. Favorite missionary biography? Oh, it's a small little one by Paul Schleyline on John Payton, that Banner mm. of Truth put out. I love that one. I also love John Payton's autobiography, but that little one, fantastic. It shows his life and his theology. And mm. I, I thought it very, very impactful bi biography. That's good. The next question is a fill in the blank question. The greatest challenge facing reaching and teaching today is blank. A distracted West and a rapidly changing world. I think those two things. I think I'm nervous about how distracted we are both on a macro level with the various things that take our attention as Christians here in the West. I'm also very, very concerned about distraction digitally and what that means for the mobilization of generations ahead of us. The kids growing up on TikTok and Netflix, like what kind of missionary, what kind of missionaries are we going to have a decade or two from now? That's something I'm thinking about a lot. I think globally, we've just got a rapidly changing world and economic migration is real forced migration is real. I hear stories of mining companies moving into language groups in Papua New Guinea and saying, you've got two weeks to move out of here. And I shudder for the missionaries who have dedicated years of their life to go and learn a language and a culture, then have those people dispersed in, in a matter of weeks. So our world is rapidly changing and we in the West are increasingly distracted. I'd love to see us kind of zone in and be focused on what the Lord has given us to do as Christians mm. and then some as missionaries. 
so that we can be focused and, and really, really competent in what we're doing around the world mm. for the glory of God. Mm. Last question. Someone listening to this episode right now says, okay, Ryan, thanks. You convinced me. I want to partner. I want to go with reaching and teaching. What are their first steps? What advice would you give to them? First step is go talk to your local church pastor and make sure they know who we are because we want to pull them into a conversation. Take them to www.rtim.org. And then you can sign up there to speak with the mobilizer through our contact us form. We'd love to have a conversation with you. It's usually 30 minutes to an hour, starting to get to know you and your local church. And one of the first questions we're going to ask you is, does your church know that we're talking to you? And if they don't, it's kind of like Monopoly. It's like, go back to the beginning and let's start off, off again. So I'm just going to give you a hint. If you want to talk with us, make sure your local church knows about it. Ryan, thank you so much for your time and the conversation today. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Amazon to the Himalayas is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. At Southern Seminary, we're preparing the next wave of missionaries, church planters, Bible translators, and more for a lifetime of faithfulness to the Great Commission. To learn more about how Southern Seminary can prepare you to take the gospel from the Amazon to the Himalayas, visit sbts.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.